when you're looking for money, you always ask for advice. If you ask for advice, you'll end up with money. You ask for money, you probably will get turned down. <laughs> um, and so what other ideas do you have for me? And then the next one, who else do you know I should talk to? And this is what has landed me in the White House and, and in different areas, because that literally allows you to crowd surf through the three to 600 people that that person you're talking to knows to get the most relevant. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and joining me today is Judy Robinette, a powerhouse investor, author, speaker, corporate leader, and entrepreneur. With over 30 years of experience, Judy has amassed a wealth of knowledge regarding the blueprint for success in business. In today's podcast, she shares pivotal insights from her latest book, Cracking the Funding Code, and explains just what it takes to get your startup on the road to success. I hope you enjoy this episode. Excited to have you here today, Judy, and uh, have a chance to talk to you about um, all of all of the things that you've done in a 30-year career, corporate and working with entrepreneurs. Um, the title of your book, Crack the Funding Code, How Investors Think and What They Need to Hear to Fund Your Startup is quite compelling. I loved reading it. As I told you, I've been doing entrepreneurship now for um, about 30 years myself, and um, this is one of the best books I've read on funding, so really Thank excited you. to talk to you today. Can you tell us a bit about your book and what led you to write it? Yes, so, you know, what really led me to write it was I would travel the world and I'd meet great entrepreneurs who couldn't figure out how to find an investor. Um, and I had learned the hard way through many years after being CEO of a public company and raising an initial $4 million and then an additional another $4 million. So I, I knew how to do it. And I found out that there's you can follow a pretty simple roadmap if you get educated on the different investor types. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I would, I would do the book and simplify this kind of clandestine funding ecosystem so more people would be successful. I love it. I love it. So you've you've been in the entrepreneurial and corporate space for over 30 years, as we said. You've seen a lot of changes uh, in terms of ease, accessibility, and methods of startup funding. Talk to us a little about what's happened in those years that you've been involved. Yeah. So many years ago, um, women could get virtually no access and neither could minorities. Uh, as you as you know, Rebecca, everybody in Silicon Valley was looking for that great white guy that came out of Harvard. Yep. Um, and and that has changed. But for years and years, I worked with uh, organizations like Springboard, which to date have raised, you know, thirteen billion. Have had I think seventeen IPOs and one hundred and eighty strategic cells, and it's all based on women founders. And now there's many organizations like that, and we're starting to see. Uh, minorities. I met the first black woman who had built a billion dollar startup out of California. The company is Zoom. It's uh, pizza. It's They use robots. And uh, they had a last round of funding of $350 million from SoftBank. And that put them at a $2.3 billion valuation. Wow. So it's been fun. And finally, you know, it's taken many years, but to see how many Women and minorities are starting their own funds, which, of course, makes it easy 
in, you know, 25 years ago, the funding was basically in Silicon Valley. Then it kind of shifted somewhat into Boston, into New York. Um, and now we're seeing it across the U.S. There's over 400 angel groups in the United States, um, three to 4,000 family offices. So no lack of money out there. Right. So that's right. The, the big thing is we're seeing more people interested. And of course, Shark Tank really helped. Right. <laughs> and I'll have to tell you a, a funny story. I was on a panel with Mark Cuban and uh, we had dinner with the producer of Shark Tank. And I leaned over to him, Rebecca, and I said, geez, some of these startups really suck. And he said, Judy, first it's entertainment. And so <laughs> you know, I, I tell people, you know, don't be worried about people treating you like Shark Tank because most investors are looking really hard to find you. They need a good deal. Right. Deal flow is hard to come by. Good deal flow. So I'm on the other end of this trying to prepare those entrepreneurs so that they'll be prepared for um, you know, being a high potential invest uh, for a high potential investment. Can you give us a little bit of advice that yeah. um, I can pass along in the classroom and that our listeners might use? Yes. Yeah. So Howard Stevenson, who is now re retired at Harvard, was known as the Lion of Entrepreneurism, wrote a couple of books to teach angel investors how to invest. Uh huh. And one of the things in there, he said, the way to really set yourself apart as a high potential startup is first to be clear on your exit and potential comparables of what your company might sell for. And the second thing was to mitigate risk as viewed by the investors. So, you know, Rebecca, I judge pitch events all over the world. And, you know, I'll meet people and they get up and they spend 10 minutes talking about how great the Kool-Aid is, don't you, this product. And, you know, we're going to be right. a billion dollar company next year. Um, that's not the kind of stuff that the investor wants to see. They want to know what's in it for me. What is going to be that right. ROI? Um, another important thing is you have to show that you have good character. As soon as you come across as arrogant, people aren't interested in investing. People don't write a check and walk away. Um, so that's important. Yeah, you know, I, I used to give a, a presentation that I entitled uh, after the John Gray book, I stole from that. Entrepreneurs are from uh, Venus, investors are from Mars. Oh because, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was some of the things that I found in my research is that they might be saying the same words even, but they had different, uh, for, for example, what, what, what the outcomes or success or what they were looking for, um, you know, wasn't always aligned. It, the more you can align those, the better off you're going to be. And so what I'm hearing you say is when you're going in to pitch, you really have to understand your audience and what they're looking for. And at the end of the day, investors want to make money and yes. uh, it's going to make you money and you're built your company. So it's all a good thing, right? It is. But, it is. And, and it's important for you to build a relationship. So one of my favorite angel investors, Jean Hammond, who uh, belonged to Golden Seeds when I was there, she's in Boston. And she tells entrepreneurs, no one's going to write a check the size that will buy a small mansion unless right. they know you, like you, yep. and trust you. And you always want to get the second date. You know, it's absolutely, you're not going to go in there. You may go in there and wow them and, and make it to the next level. 
that you need to build a relationship. And you also need to make sure that these people are going to have your back and have your future. Do due diligence on those investors because, you know, some of them are bad actors, not a lot. Right. But you need to be careful in who you work with. Right, right. So have you worked a lot with crowdfunding? Do you have any thoughts on crowdfunding as a potential for um, raising money? Yes, I I wrote a chapter in one of the first crowdfunding uh, books for the two fellows, uh, Woody Ness and Jason Best, who uh, are the ones who came up with the crowdfunding notion. Uh, And I think we've come a long way. I think they need to change some of the legislation. And I know that's kind of underfoot right now with Senator Patrick McHenry. Right. um, Who who did the first uh, round uh, with my group. Um, And and I'll tell you, it was nasty. We went with the S we went to Washington, DC. We met with the white house. We met with uh, members of Congress. They loved us, loved the idea. Uh, And then we went to the SEC, who basically said, you're going to be stealing money from grandma and the poor. And uh, statistics have borne out. There's very little fraud, like less than 1% globally. And we're seeing many successes. Uh, It's interesting. Women tend to be more successful through that that kind of a a platform. Um, and people are getting smarter. The, the one thing that I'll tell you is the majority of people don't find your deal by going to the platform. You have to be responsible to do the marketing. So you have to have a crowd. You have to bring right. a crowd to the party. But one of the, the ways that people find you is on social media. So the guy who is number one for, for funding most, uh, most of these uh, deals or he's funded more than anybody else been involved with them. He finds them on Twitter. Wow. Wow. And, and so it's, it's important. And I think it, it is working. I, I think we're morphing. And of course we're going to morph again with cryptocurrency and ICOs. So it, it is something worth looking at. Although um, I'll tell you, I, I recommend to people to just go find a local entrepreneur an attorney, somebody who has expertise with entrepreneurs and pitch them so you can find out what you need to know before you get in front of investors or you run a a crowdfunding thing. But right now, um, you know, I I think it's good. It works for a lot of people. The platforms are very, very different. Some of them, if you don't reach 100% of your goal, you know, you, you don't get any of the money. Uh, and it's right. very specific if you're in arts or if you're you're in technology. But I would tell you also go for angels. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I think crowdfunding is almost a marketing play as much as a fundraising play at times. So, yeah, yes. and and I I love your your philosophy of practice. You know, we we uh, have our students pitch a ton before that. You know, all through their experience. And, um, you know, it's, it's great for them to just get up and practice that because there's the whole, the whole factor of being nervous and making sure that you can get through that. But then getting, um, if you really are ready to go out and raise money, you want to get as many of those objections out of the way ahead of time. I think that's what I'm hearing you say. So if you go to, if you pitch to others, you might hear what some of those objections are going to be Absolutely. and be better prepared for them. And, and you'll understand, you know, what the investor is looking for, what they're concerned about. Many entrepreneurs don't understand the depth 
of due diligence, you know, so I will see people get caught in uh, like a deer in headlights when they're asked, you know, what is the cost of a customer acquisition or, or what is this? Right. And you do have to know the numbers cold and it's better. You know, one of my favorite angel investor friends is in Salt Lake City. If you buy him lunch, he'll spend two hours with you going through your pitch, giving you ideas. And that is worth gold. Right. Right. That's great, great advice. So um, the funding code, can you talk a little bit up to us with us about the funding code, the variables in the funding code and what that entails to get us ready uh, if we want to raise money? Yeah. So it's really important, to, as you mentioned, um, Rebecca, having that pitch deck, it needs to be concise, 10 to 12 slides. Um, you know, you need to have a very strong story, compelling, passionate. Don't just read your slides. You know, perchance if something happens to the slide deck, you need to be able to go ahead and tell your story right, uh, anyway. Right. So it's it's very important to do that. It's important to understand the size of your market and have that realistic. You know, the first time you say, "If you, I get one percent of everybody in China, will be worth a billion." Uh, people will know you haven't done your homework. You need cells built from the bottom up, uh, need to understand the competition. There's always competition. Sometimes I'll hear I have no competition and I'll just say, well, then there's no market. Right. Uh, and the right. truth is, you know, they haven't done their their homework. And so having that pitch deck and then performance. Uh, and, and often people will go to a local accountant or, you know, their cousin that does the taxes and, mm-hmm. and that doesn't work well. My favorite guy to go to is in, in New York City, uh, David and Meister, and I'll, I'll share that with the notes. He'll be willing to look at your stuff for free and doesn't charge a lot to help put together those financials. And as, as I mentioned, you really have to know those and understand what unit economics is. Um, you know, I'll meet people and, and you look at their, their deck and, and this happened when I was first introduced to Skull Candy. They have these just, you know, amazing projections of going to be a half a billion dollar company. And you look in, in their financials and there's no uh, employees doing sales. Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, all How's of that going to happen, right? <laughs> all those things have to match up. And so that's really um, important. Right, right. That's that's great, great advice. You know, it's uh, that's a, one of probably one of the scariest uh, aspects for most of our students is making sure their financials um, are ready because that's what what investors dive into. So they get nervous about that. So thank you for that feedback and that that um, that advice. So suppose I'm a founder and I want to start a company, but I'm you know I don't ha- and I really want to do a high high potential company that's going to need to raise a lot of money. Um, what do I need to do about myself? Is, is there anything I need to think of about for myself personally to get myself ready for that path? Um, you know, are there, there, are there uh, issues, things that I can do to prepare myself for that? Yeah. So, you know, I talk in my book about the three C's and I mentioned uh, one of them, character. Um, and, and something that most people are, are nervous about getting in front of the investors is, um, you know, what if I don't know the answer? And, and mm-hmm. it's good to just say, you know, I don't know. I'll get back to you. I mentioned about the problem with being arrogant. It's also important to 
show that you're willing to learn because all investors are interested in helping you. It takes a team, particularly to get a high potential business that's going to scale. Um, You need a level of confidence. Those things are important. I would also tell people to look online to Cooley, uh, Wilson Sosini, and and I'll attach these. They're the current uh, venture financing reports, Mm -hmm. what the average valuation is, where the deals are getting funded. I would tell them to get on Google, find their local angel groups. Angels invest, 75% of them invest locally. And they're in every state, multiple angel groups. And so if you do your research, go to New York Angels. In, um, they're based in New York City, arguably one of the, the better groups out there. They will actually, on their website, tell you what they want to see in the pitch deck, mm-hmm. what you mm-hmm. can expect, what you will need in those financials, so that you get yourself educated, you understand all of that process. Uh, another thing would be to go look at Brad Feld's, either his book or his blog posts on term sheets. So get yourself educated. So, you know, when I hear you say they're going to need to raise a lot of money, um, average valuation usually is eight to $10 million. So the first time, you know, I hear out of your mouth, you need 5 million. I'm going to tell you, you're going to lose the majority of your company. Mm-hmm. And so you need to have a funding plan from the beginning to your exit. It's great advice. Yeah. Go. I think people go into it not having a clue what this whole thing's going to look like. And there's multiple rounds of funding and, and uh, dilution involved. And uh, yeah, that, that, but again, it's back to, do I want a small part of something big or do I want everything yeah. of something that doesn't, doesn't go yeah. anywhere? Right. Yeah, there's a great article based on a book that's in the Harvard Business Review and it's called, um, do you want to be rich or do you want to be king? Okay, I remember that. That's a <laughs> classic. That's a classic. And, and the one thing that, that I would say that would help anybody, regardless of where they are, is to make sure they have a mentor and an advisory board, that you have people that are smarter than you, somebody, an expert in the technology you're after, somebody who's an expert in finances, hopefully somebody that knows sales, because you want to have these key relationships so they can open doors for you, right. not only to funders, but you know, biz dev opportunities. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you brought up that uh, I love I love where we're going with this because you brought up a topic, another topic that you have written a book about and that I'm passionate about, and it's uh, how to be a power connector. And you talked about the advisory board and the, their role in networks, which I found in my own ventures to be incredibly powerful. Um, I love that. There's a lot of um, a lot of uh, there's a lot of bit that's been written and research about networks. I'd love to hear a little bit more of your history on networking, your thoughts about it, you know, how it's had an impact maybe on your own life and what, what brought you to write that book and um, uh, what sure. you might want to share around that. Yeah. So I grew up in Franklin, Idaho. And if anybody saw the movie Napoleon Dynamite, that's the same school. High school. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, I was shy. I had been bullied. And so, you know, even when I started in the Fortune 100 world, um, I was nervous about asking for help. I had been taught, like the research shows, those who have been raised middle class down, you know, get a great degree, work hard, don't ask for help, people will notice. And I quickly found out people didn't notice. Uh, And I could see there was another game afoot. 
And, and it was based on these relationships. And, and indeed, there's research out of Denmark that shows in any corporation, uh, any partnership, and that's, you know, angel groups, VCs, family offices, sovereign wealth funds, it's only 5% of the people in that organization that really willed the power. And often it's very different than the org chart. Um, and I just studied how to win friends and influence people, started to talk to people, found out, you know, they did like me. I used to wonder, why would anybody want to talk to me? Uh, I've been invited to private fintech conferences at the White House. I've been to royal dinners, you know, on, on the stage with uh, people who, who are celebrities and, and pretty famous. And all of that I attribute to my ability, and, and I hate the word networking. It really is the ability to build relationships, add value quickly to people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we started, Rebecca, you said there's always things that come around from, from helping others. And, and I found that to be phenomenally true. When I figured out in life that everybody's problem is somebody else's solution. I frankly was relieved. I thought I was the only one in the world that had problems. <laughs> and, and like, you know, it's the same thing. Investors are frantically trying to find a good deal. They're, they're looking for you. Right. You don't right. have to be in there, you know, shaking in your boots thinking, oh, geez, I've got to ask them for money. Uh, they're looking for you. And, um, you know, the entrepreneur needs that money. And when you learn to add value and have that kind of a relationship, you can get to anyone. So there's a VC in California many years ago who said, if you can't figure out how to get to me, you can't figure out how to get a customer. I'm not interested in talking to you. Now, that's changed a bit. So now there is so much competition in the VC world. Almost all of them have websites. And many of them now are taking cold calls or cold emails. But I'll tell you, um, Corrigin VC, which is in New York, posted a blog about three months ago. They went back and looked at every single deal. Every single one of them was a referral. And you yeah. can think about yeah. this in your own life. Yeah. You go to your neighbor and say, who's your plumber? Because you want somebody that they know, like, and trust. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just met with a young lady yesterday who wants to make transition from being an educator in the elementary school to the business world. And I said, don't underestimate what you've got to offer because she's got a lot of great skills. She might not have the finance background, but she's got a lot of great skills. But I told her what you're probably missing is the network. So let's get started on that. And uh, I think you're right. It's A lot of it is is, is about connecting And let me tell you, so my favorite thing that I I teach people, um, a a couple of things. Uh, Number one, I call it my three golden questions. Ask people, you know, how could I help you? I was at Pebble Beach last year at a a private 10 cent event on the 18th hole and got introduced to a billionaire VC. And I said to him, what do you need help with? And he said, I'm doing an AI conference and I need to find a couple of speakers. Well, I could do that. And you find that you can quickly add value to people. And then after you have a bit of a relationship, you need to tell them where you are, what you're doing, and and what you need. And you ask the two golden questions. And number one is, what other ideas do you have for me? It's very well known. Uh, When you're looking for money, you always ask for advice. Uh, If you ask for advice, you'll end up with money. You ask for money, you probably will get turned down. (laughs) Um, and so what other ideas do you have for me? And then the next one, who else do you know I should talk to? 
And this is what has landed me in the White House and, and in different areas, because that literally allows you to crowd surf through the three to 600 people that that person you're talking to knows to get the most relevant. Um, a second piece of advice is, you know, network within curated groups, you know, go to pitch events, go to, if you're looking for corporate deals, you can go to ACG, the Association of Corporate Growth. They're all over the world. They welcome people to come in for, you know, lunch meetings. And if, if you get in a, a group like that, it's very powerful. A friend of mine in Salt Lake was recruited to be a wealth manager from the East Coast, Salt Lake which, as you know, is predominantly Mormon and, and white men kind of have ruled. Uh, and he's black and he's gay. And within just a short few years, he had a huge book of business with, you know, billionaires. And I said to him, how did you do this? And he said, you know, I bought a ticket and joined the symphony. And I went early to break bread, drink a little wine. That's where my customers are. So if you can figure out, if you really, you know, think about where these people are, then it allows you to leverage and you'll come away from a meeting with, you know, three to seven solid people instead of going to, you know, maybe uh, a local chamber or, you know, uh, BNI, these different networking groups. And, and they're fine people there, but often you'll find those aren't the people with the money. They're, they're looking too a lot of times, yes, exactly. you know, and that's okay. Um, you know, I love what you're saying here because I talk with students about this a lot of times when they're, when they go into networking events and it's probably because they're nervous, they have a tendency to open their mouth and start talking about what they do and constantly talking. But I, I've, I've talked about this idea and it's, I use a different language, but I love your questions of thinking about it as a relationship and going into it with a thought about, you know, what can I do for you and, and who are you? And, and uh, I found that people loved usually to talk about themselves. So if I want to talk to somebody and I go with more of an open uh, approach to hear more about them, I can learn amazing things and befriend them. And, and as you said, how can I help you? It's, it's, it's such a great way to connect and, and kind of yeah. have a service approach yeah. to, to life. And, and one of the best places um, is also with the key service providers, the players in the industry. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a, uh, I think it was Dave Burkus. Um, was, you know, he built and sold his first business and then he decided he wanted to invest and he didn't know how to find startups. <laughs> so he found the local attorney that dealt with startups, the local banker that dealt with startups, right. and the local, um, accounting firm that dealt with startups and went and met with them and said, these are the people I'm looking for. Please send them to me. And since then, he's had no trouble finding um, anybody. Everybody knows now he's a super angel. And you can find those people in any community, or if you're in a small community, go to the regional hub and go sit down and talk with those people, because you'll find the majority of people are happy to help if you ask. That's great advice. You know, a number of years ago, um, there was some research that looked at networks and identified some networks as uh, being uh, heterogeneous with weak ties versus homogeneous with strong ties. 
And uh, in that same research, there was, um, there was research that looked at men and women and their approach to that, and that men tended to be more comfortable with the heterogeneous, broad, weak ties, but women tended to focus more on, on the strong ties, which was often to their detriment in, in uh, entrepreneurship and building their network and, their, and connecting yeah, where they needed to. Is that, it, do you think that's still true? It is still true, and it is to everybody's detriment because it turns out, for instance, 80% of jobs aren't listed. Right. So if it's strong links, and I talk about this in my book, if you put yourself in the middle of a circle, the first circle out is your friends and family, very strong links, but they all know everybody. They all know the same opportunities. It's only when you get out in that next 25 to 50 people and those weak ties are the most powerful. There's also a piece of research that shows you're limited to a friend of a friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. But I find one of the biggest mistakes people make is not using the network they already have. So people will say to me, I don't know anybody that invests. I'll say, really? Do you go to a doctor or a dentist? Um, Many doctors and dentists invest. And of course, if you ask people, who else do you know I should talk to? You'll be amazed at the people in your network who who they know. Right. Uh, And a a quick little story. When I published that book, my um, agent, Wendy Keller, called me and said, oh, I've got to introduce you to Mike Muni. He sold X software for 45 million. It's on relationships. You guys could get together. Maybe you could do something. So he flies to Salt Lake from Texas. I'm meeting with him and I said, Mike, I have never heard of your program. What are you doing for marketing? And he looked really glum and he said, oh, if I could just get an article in Success Magazine, that's my niche. Um, And I smiled and I said, when you go back home, call Wendy, who I've known for three months, who you've known for years. Her best friend is Darren Hardy, um, who's the publisher of Success. And he literally almost fell off his chair. (laughs) I find this all the time, that if people would have just shared their story and ask who else do you know I should talk to or what other ideas they they wouldn't have had to have networked anymore. Right, right. Uh, so it's absolutely critical. Now there's more research that shows, um, and this is why my book is, you know, the 550, 100, groups fall apart at 150. So you don't need a massive network. You find 25 to 50 people and you make sure it's diverse. You have people in you know, regulatory, political, finance, media, uh, then then you have access to any resource that you need. And there's no lack of resources. You know, there's 7.4 billion people on the planet. There's 317 trillion in private global wealth. There's no lack of money, mm-hmm. information, ideas, but it's all connected to people. People write the checks, do the deals, um, all connected to people. At the end, about people and relationships, right? We want yes. to do business with people we trust and yes. people. That's great. Do you find that over time your network is going to change? Yes. Or? Yeah, very, very clearly. I, you know, when I was younger, I never knew a millionaire. Uh, now I, I know many billionaires. Uh, just I'm getting introduced to a couple of sovereign wealth funds. It'll be my first, you know, time talking with them. And so what happens is if you keep adding value and stay connected to this group of 25 to 50 people, new doors open up, new opportunities open up. So it will change. And it doesn't mean you have to kick the people out at the bottom. You can always maintain that relationship. 
but you will start cultivating amazing relationships. Right. Right. I love it. Well, I could talk all day, but I'm going to kind of bring this uh, full circle. And, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a student. Uh, I want to be an entrepreneur. Is there a formula for success in building a company and raising money? And, and if so, just a simple blueprint or summary that you might leave with our listeners before we go for that? You know, I don't, I don't know that there's something um, necessarily easy, but it's simple if you have a mentor and have people who have done it before. And I'm constantly amazed when I meet entrepreneurs that, you know, realize that there's a way over, under, or through any hurdle. And so to me, the number one rule is be persistent. You know, you will find out it isn't IQ. It really is persistence and hard work, but learning you know, 75, 80% of companies, Clayton Christensen and Harvard estimates have to do a pivot. Uh, and this is true, whether it's in biotech, uh, you know, Viagra uh, wasn't started as the drug it is used for now. It was because nurses noticed this really strange side effect. And so the same with post-it notes and many things. So if you're willing to learn and, and seek advice and you're persistent, uh, things will, you will get lucky and you can create luck by how you position yourself. People say, oh, no, you can't. And I'll say, really? Go stand on a train track for 24 hours and tell me if you got bad luck. <laughs> uh, so position is critical. Right. And so that would, that would be my, you know, there's so many different verticals, you know, if you were doing a medical device or a biotech company or a tech company, FinTech or, uh, those are all different pathways. But as long as you find people that are experts, they will help you. Yeah, that's great advice. I love it. You know, it takes takes a lot of resilience and persistence uh, yes. to succeed. Obviously, you've got a lot of that. You've been very successful. And, and uh, this has been great to have the chance to talk to you. I highly recommend everybody listening to get Crack the Funding Code. I think it's a great book. A lot of uh, lessons for raising money and a lot of lessons for uh, life in that. So it's something I'm going to recommend to my students. So Thank so you, excited. Yeah. So where can our listeners connect with you, Judy? It's been great, great for me to talk to you, but I want them to be able to connect too. So I'm on LinkedIn. You can write to me, Judy at JudyRobinette.com with no E on the end of Robinette. Um, I'm on Twitter. So happy to help. And I have a website, Judy Robinette. Thank you. Thank you.